0: All right, LPs, welcome to today's show where David and I are on the other side of the microphones. We are joined by uh, a friend of ours, uh, Nathan Bechez, who uh, is, is a probably not only... I'm a
1: long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> that's what I am.
0: <laughs> not, not only like...
2: I think that's the first time we've used that joke. Okay. Kind
1: of uh, I think the Jet Setter episode
0: uh, may be... Uh, Oh no, it, it was, was it with the jet, it was with the jet setter CEO, but it was on,
2: yeah, it was, uh, we did booking.com with, uh, right. with you. That's yeah. right.
0: Nathan is like not only probably one of the most, uh, I'd say like qualified to interview us, um, but also, uh, just a super fun personality. And so I'm excited to have you here in the mix. And so I'll introduce you and then I'll turn over the host reins and, uh, sit back and relax. Is if that sounds good?
1: That's great. <laughs>
0: All right. So Nathan uh, most recently has been writing a business strategy newsletter called Divinations. When he launched it a few weeks ago, uh, he and I were talking and he said, hey, what do you think about one of the early posts being sort of what's the what is the business behind acquired and the the strategy of why you guys are doing and what you're doing and how you do it? And so Nathan uh, was kind enough to to interview us in that format and publish it a few weeks ago. And we thought, hey, it'd be cool to kind of do a deeper dive and a follow up as an LP episode. And Nathan, of course, is a founder before that and a great product person and and now um, also a great, uh, you know, strategy thinker, writer. Nathan, you play a lot in sort of these like tech content tie ups or, or amalgamations. How do you describe the sort of businesses that you're drawn to?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say the general theme is like people trying to build things that that kind of utilize the Internet to make people smarter or to help people make themselves smarter. So like Gimlet Media is one place I worked and, and I've learned a lot from, from what they do. And, and just, it was amazing to kind of get to go in the office every day and be, work with such like creative people building such cool stuff. I started a company called Hardbound that had a new like sort of visual tappable format for reading on mobile. And that was a lot of fun. We had stories like what is fire or like explaining disruptive innovation, which was like a kind of a precursor to Divinations. And the format was sort of like Snapchat
0: Stories before Snapchat Stories. I mean, it was the first sort of like vertical, tappable storytelling mobile experience.
1: Yeah. Well, it was it was like right around when Snapchat Stories was taking off and it was, it was a similar format, but imagine like with illustrations and, like, words that are very, like, premeditated as opposed to just, like, quick little caption type things <laughs> where you'd really, like, consume, like, an actual piece of writing, you know? Almost like a graphic novel in some ways, but, like, yeah, in the Snapchat story-ish format. That's cool.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. All right, well, listeners, before I turn it over to Nathan, if you do want to sign up for Divinations, I know Nathan's got a, a special discount code for um, for listeners
1: to the LP show. So Nathan, how do they how do they get access if they're interested? I do. So you can sign up for free to read like the free interviews at divinations.substack.com. But if you're curious about the kind of paywalled stuff, which is the more in-depth explainers of ideas in business, like we explore trade-offs in one really deep kind of recent post, that kind of stuff, you can go to divinations.substack.com slash acquired. And there you get 50% off your first year. So it's just for you. All right, let's do it. Cool. Okay. So the thing that I've always been curious about is like when you're doing research for one of these episodes, how many times do you change your opinion? Like, do you start off and you're like, oh, I totally get it. And then you pretty much, you like fill it in more and more. Or are these like, are there like radical paradigm shifts where you're like, this is genius. And then you're like, this is terrible. And then, you know, and it's like kind of all over the place.
2: <laughs> ben, you want to go first?
1: Yeah um it changes probably once or twice
0: but probably more interesting is when does it change and that is usually when i'm getting into the financials so the best case scenario is it's a public company and i actually get to look at the income statement and i have a realization like the disney plus one where i'm like oh my god parks and merch makes twice as much as the movies do and then i have to rethink every other sort of like thing in the episode to look back and go okay that actually should frame the relative importance that I put on any given event, because my previous thinking was it's about the movies and like the parks and the merch can sort of they are a secondary revenue stream that served to get people more excited about watching the movies and the sequels. And it turned out when you looked at the numbers that that was not at all the case. It was the other way around. And so it's like usually the closer I can get to the financials, the more likely that is to shape my thesis. So I try and do that as early as I possibly can.
2: My opinion changes. It depends on the episode, but frequent, I would say usually at least once, if not two or three times, the first time it usually changes is just kind of in the process of like digging in and doing research. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times Ben and I have decided to do an episode and we're like, okay, we, and there might be a story here. We're not, totally sure like this seems like kind of a boring company and then you get half an hour into the research and you're like oh my god i'm just scratching the surface like there is so much here
0: the other thing that david will do is david texts me a lot and he's like hey actually this episode has to change it's not about this acquisition it's about these three acquisitions or it's about the story of this company as a whole or actually the story of a company as a whole isn't interesting it's about this transaction in the 10-year period afterward and so like David, you do like what occurs to you I think during the research a lot is how how we need to frame what's int- what the interesting story is.
2: Yeah, that's that's usually the like like when we decide to do an episode, it's cuz there's we think there might be something there. Sometimes we know what it is and sometimes the episode turns out kind of as expected, but sometimes it's just a hunch and and then during the research we kind of figure out like okay, here's the here's the interesting piece. So what we have a policy, Ben and I, that we don't we will discuss like before an episode while we're preparing. Hey, if there's something here's some direction, like make sure you look in this direction. But we don't discuss specifics. We don't discuss like, oh, this is what I think ahead of time because we want it to be
0: fresh. And
1: so you have like a firewall where you kind of force yourselves to independently come to like perhaps different conclusions.
0: Yeah, it's it, you can say facts to each other, but you shouldn't lead the witness is kind of how we look at it. Like, I I don't want to express my opinion to David because I don't want it to color his. Yeah,
2: we did that in our first couple episodes and we realized we'd talk for hours <laughs> and not record. And so we're like, okay, we, and, it made, and then when we were recording, we'd already said everything. So it, was, it wasn't compelling. So what I do, usually in the couple hours before, right before we record an episode, I'll go through all my notes which are usually (laughs) pages and pages long
1: like are we talking 50 pages 100 pages 10 pages i'd say an average
2: main show script uh not script not word for word but notes is usually like five to ten pages
1: okay Uh, that's pretty solid yeah
2: yeah i go through all those bullet points that i'm taking real time as researching and then i break them out into sections like into chat i usually call it chapters and i'll put like a title for each chapter like Here's, you know, the introduction. Here's chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, or act one, act two, act three. The process of doing that doesn't usually change my opinion, but like gives me another layer of kind of um, take on the company. And then actually the third time in many episodes when I change my opinion is in the process of recording and discussing with Ben. Like
1: live, (laughs) you're like, as I say this, actually, what occurs to me is. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: This happened to us during TikTok. All of my research framed around, and all the arguments I was prepared to make framed around uh, Facebook and Instagram. And the right comp ended up being YouTube based on the particular type of follower following model and ratios. And I was like, oh, crap. And I had to like, on the fly at the end, change a lot of the analysis to be more YouTube centered. And I think anybody who's listening to the episode is like, it, it sort of it does take that hard left when I feel like we collectively had the YouTube realization
1: at the end Have you ever had to like scrap stuff you've recorded because you realize you change your opinion so much that you almost want to like start over? Not for that reason, but we have scrapped stuff we've
0: recorded because it wasn't good
1: How did you know it wasn't good? I mean because it's got to be hard to just throw away something once you've you know
0: Yeah, it's super hard if we don't if we think it might not be good we send it to friends And we're like is this is this bad and if they tell us it's bad then We scrap it in the
2: process of doing the episode by the time we come to the end oftentimes we feel like hey in the beginning we, if we've changed our opinion on something like we, we sort of like this rabbit hole we went down not that not that compelling or not
0: relevant more often than not what happens is we just there's bad sections that we just need to like wholesale
1: cut out gotcha gotcha do you do the editing yourselves of like like, do you have someone who who will kind of tell you, like, this section is bad? Or do you have to, like, listen to it and decide for yourself if you think a section is worth cutting?
0: It's the latter. So we we started with just me editing. It's enormously time-consuming. And is it's fun, but it's enormously time-consuming. And so we have an outsourced editor that we work with now that takes the first pass. Then David and I both listen to it. We take notes on anything additional that we think needs to be either... Sometimes we'll re-record like a sentence or a word or something if we just got a fact wrong, but most of the time it's just cutting. And then I'll take the second pass at going through in, in Adobe Audition and just like cutting the parts that we need to cut.
1: Wait, so you'll literally re-record like you'll say like something million and you meant to say billion and like you just kind of have to like say the word in the same way so that when you splice it in, it doesn't sound like... Weird, do you know? <laughs> That's correct. Wow! And, in fact, I I
0: had to re-record the episode number because we
1: switched Convoy
0: and LTSE. Oh, that so was like, such a
2: pain because it was a live show. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it was actually really hard because the music was playing in the background. It's it doesn't it doesn't sound perfect. I'm sure many people listen to it and realize like something weird happened there.
1: I feel like there's room for some sort of machine learning AI, like audio editing, like make it sound like when you were live or whatever. I don't know. Blend it because someone was laughing a little bit in the background or something. Descript
0: does an interesting job of like, uh, I'm in their voice double demo. So like I can type out a sentence and press go and it'll be me speaking the sentence. But the problem is we'd have to port our entire workflow over to do it in Descript to take full advantage of that. And I haven't, haven't gotten to that place yet. But I'm playing around with it and it's really cool tech.
1: Totally. Well, one of the things this is a good transition about the time you spent editing, because one of the things we talked about in the interview about reasons to launch a paid podcast, even though, you know, this is not like the primary goal of this is not to generate revenue. Was so that you could use that revenue and kind of reinvest it in this kind of trade off, which is how you spend your time. You have a limited amount of time, obviously, to like dedicate to this, since it's not a full time thing. And even if it were a full time thing, you'd have a limited amount of time. And and I think one of the key uses was to like invest in editing help or something else like that. Like, how? T- tell me the story of that and like how, what impact it made and and all that.
0: The underlying like business strategy theme here is leverage on time and also um only doing your core competency so how do we identify what the core competency of us at acquired is and how do we outsource everything else to get the most leverage possible on the time that we do spend to create the greatest product in the smallest amount of time and we're not interested in like making a worse product in and spending only like a half hour or something or only the time that we spend recording the episode Um, but we are interested in figuring out like what's the low-hanging fruit where it's like you know really a poor use of our time Um, and editing at least the first pass was one of those things where you know removing ums or background noise or making sure the audio is leveled correctly like that was a that was an easy one to say like awesome that is a great thing to throw dollars at and the more we can do things like the lp program the more we can throw dollars at that another one is traveling to guests so this one is actually really big then david this was one that you're you've been hardcore about you want to talk about this it's just so different. You know, we're recording this
2: episode remote and it's still great, but it's so different being there face to face with somebody uh, in the same room versus being on Zoom for, you know, Zoom is great and like remote work is totally the future and it's amazing. But for at least for the acquired format, because we try and go so deep. Like if you're not there in person with your guests, especially when the guest is like the founder of the company, it's hard for the interview to be as good. And I think actually one of the biggest reasons for that is like, and this is where the travel actually comes in. It's not, it, part of it's about being in the same room, but part of it is we make it really clear that like we're making an an effort. Like, we are coming to you. We are dedicating time. You know, we will do everything for our guests, both because, like, they deserve it. They're giving us their time. But it's just an indication of, like, we're taking this super seriously. And um, as opposed to, like, hey, let's hop on this, you know, video call at this per- you know particular moment in time.
0: Yeah, and a lot of times with, with guests, too, like, we don't know them. Like, this is going smoothly, Nathan, because, like, we've hung out, we've gotten drinks. Like, you know, we spent... A tumultuous weekend in North Carolina, or in uh, New Orleans. We're not going to talk about the roof of, yeah. <laughs> of New Orleans and that Ace Hotel. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like most of the time, we've we've had a prep call with them, maybe, or maybe it's just like their EA has coordinated it, and we got a, a nice intro from somebody. But like we don't have a deep personal relationship, and so there's a trust building exercise that has to happen. That you know, for anyone who who has ever pitched for investment over over a video call for the first time, you know, it's a lot harder to to build that sort of human relationship over video call. So. Yeah, that we, we viewed that as another like no-brainer way to to spend dollars um is, you know, playing tickets and making sure to show up for our guests. And
2: then when we thought about it more, it was just like the leverage on that is great. So we de- deeper relationship with these guests who are amazing people and have done amazing things for you know, we've done amazing things with them on the show, outside of the show in our day jobs. Um, you know, and then usually they live in like really interesting places with other interesting companies and founders and things going on. And so we get great. Networking and business meetings—we get to meet our fans in the cities we go to. Um, it's perfect.
0: The place where we haven't thrown dollars, which we could, and have had uh, many uh, talented business school student email us and ask about this, is uh, like research help. I kind of like the idea. I'm more enamored with it than David is, but David's quick to point out, and I think he's right that it's part of our core competency, and like that's not the thing to outsource, and that's not the thing to take away from from something that's currently working. Which to date, 100 percent of the the research and and prep and script and all that is us.
1: But Ben, I'd love you to make the case for why you should have these talented MBA students help you because it could be awesome, right? I want to have this fight right now. Well, so the reason uh, the reason I both want
0: that and think David is right is because he's the one that does more research. I'm not the one that is like feeling the neither the pain nor the gratification and reward of like laying out the narrative the thing that I do much more of is like trying to have a modern day financial understanding of the company and frame option forward and what the financial impact of those things will be I don't think David or I necessarily knew that these were the roles we would take but this is sort of where we both gravitated over the course of doing the show and so for me I'm like oh wouldn't be that big a deal and would save David some time and would give me you know an advance copy of of the the way this story is going to be told and great like that sounds great to me. And for David, it's like, are you kidding me? That's what makes the show good. And, <laughs> and it's like, it, it, I think it makes a lot of sense that this is why I haven't pushed on it at all.
2: <laughs> well, for the record, I'm totally open to it, especially if like we haven't had discussion live real time. I love this for like the financial piece, especially.
0: Honestly, that's probably where we should have an analyst.
2: Yeah, that would be that would be great. I I think for me, my perspective, I'm not at all against help on research. I do think it's super important for, for me, at least in my prep. I don't think acquired would work, or at least I wouldn't be able to, however well I show up on episodes to show up that well, if I just like Rolled in twenty minutes before, I read through the script and was like, "Okay, let to yeah. do?" This, you know, um, it's not like.
1: Have you seen the morning show? Then, like on Apple TV, where yeah, they, yeah. It's like the teleprompter comes on. and It's like, you know, they just go.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like the sports center anchors. You know, right? like yeah. they write their yeah. own scripts, right? Like- yeah,
1: yeah,
0: totally. Well, listeners, this is the perfect opportunity to introduce a new sponsor here on ACQ Two Quarter. Their new product, Quarter Pro, launched about a year ago and is already adopted by several Fortune 500 companies and some of the world's largest hedge funds and equity research departments.
2: Yeah, this research platform is transforming the way qualitative public market research is conducted. Here's how Quarter Pro works. You can get every piece of first-party information from public companies all in one single place. That's live earnings calls with real-time transcripts, company filings, slide decks, and more. QuarterPro has built a world-class user interface for this.
0: Yep. Let's say you're an investor or a podcaster, and you've got the use case where you need to look up a company such as Novo Nordisk, Hermes, or Visa. You can open their platform and search guidance or market outlook. QuarterPro then immediately identifies all instances where a company has historically mentioned and discussed these topics in all of their IR-related communications.
2: Or here's another pretty crazy thing they've done that's difficult to get anywhere else. You can actually search through literally every individual slide in Quarter's database, covering 9,000 public companies and millions of slides
0: no E, Q-U-A-R-T-R dot com slash acquired, or click the link in the show notes to get the personal demo from the Quarter team. Our thanks to Quarter. How long does it take you to do the
1: research?
2: I'd say in general, somewhere between five to 10 hours per main episode for me. It depends a lot on how how deep my existing knowledge uh, for me at least on how deep my existing knowledge of the company and the space is even when it is already deep i still spend a lot of time like making sure like i you know codify that tesla for instance coming into that episode which was kind of the first of i would say like the modern acquired episodes of like we we're like all right this is going to be a really long one <laughs> we'll see if people like it and it turns out they loved it I didn't know much at all about Tesla. Like, I didn't know that Elon didn't found it. I didn't know how the business worked. I didn't know about... This was before all the, like, real big drama, you know, broke, but there had been lots of drama, and the company had almost gone bankrupt many times before that. Was this pre-funding secured. It was pre-funding secured that we did the episode, yeah. (laughs) But
0: not that far before. Like, it was still a relevant episode, so that that was, like... This is actually a huge growth thing for Acquired, and it's not planned, it's not a tactic, but when it happens, it's awesome. Mostly because we couldn't plan for this, but like an, a news event happens and then we become the content of record that people are sharing to come up to speed on that that subject area. And so like with the funding secured thing, there were so many tweets that were like, have you heard? You, you should go check out the acquired on the backstory on Tesla. And we were like, oh, my God. That, like, yeah. What a gift. Well, and, two, and two
2: quick things on that one, you know, to your to your first question, Nathan you know, if we changed our opinion on episodes, Tesla was one. um, Ben and I debated for about a year whether it was an interesting enough story to merit doing an acquired episode on. I mean, how crazy is that? Like, you know, fast forward to today and you can hardly think of any more interesting story in tech, period. And then two, I think, you know, this may sound like, but I, I don't mean it that way to take credit that like, we know the zeitgeist or whatever, but I think there's something stories kind of tend to and companies tend to find their way to us like our list of potential episode topics is over 100 well over 100 companies long you know we don't have a set process for deciding which episodes we cover but the ones that kind of start to feel interesting to us at the right moments in time you know not always but oftentimes like ben says you know we'll put out the episode and then something really interesting will happen with the company like there's just something that like And I think this gets also to the difference of acquired versus other tech media. Like we're not journalists, like we're practitioners in the ecosystem. So like if something's starting to feel interesting to us, then there's probably like something going on there.
1: Have you tried to like codify that at all? Or like, because I imagine if you treated it like, this is your full-time startup, you would be like very, you know, there's a huge temptation to be like, okay, like what what makes a perfect episode? Let's like create our framework of like all the different things. And like, let's turn this into a machine. And like, maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you have, but I'm just curious, like how you you think about prioritizing. So it's interesting.
0: Like I want to first give an anecdote and then we should answer your question. We were at the acquired holiday party where we did a mystery and we went fencing. Um, We were in the, lift on the way from fencing to dinner we were talking a lot about like should we have kpis and like we kind of know what they would be at least like we know what the what the things we would measure are you know it's in any given season how many new listeners did we add uh when you measure an episode by the number of unique downloads within 30 days of releasing it and like we we sort of have like pretty and i track them in a spreadsheet but we made the pretty explicit decision not to set goals that we want to hit because that would take some of the fun out of it that would turn it into work and we would then be focused on like well what in our life do we have to sacrifice to hit this goal or what in the show do we have to sacrifice to hit this goal maybe we do a splashier episode that has a shallower story on a topic that's more likely to get clicks. And we're like, gosh, is that long-term sacrificing for the show to hit this short-term KPI that we thought was important? And so we were like, we have enough KPIs in the other aspect of our life. Like, let why don't acquired be a thing that like, we measure the growth so we can feel what the drivers of growth are, but we don't set intentional goals that we wanna hit and take some of the fun out of it.
2: The other thing I'd add on that point is, And we didn't we didn't plan this when we started, although I give all the credit in the world to Ben for us starting Acquired, period. And also for this reason, which is that, you know, five years ago, Ben came to we were working together at Madrona and Ben came to me and said, hey, I think podcasts are really interesting. Like, let's uh, what could we like do together in the nature of the medium in podcasting? Like. It's so personal. It's, you know, you all are listening to this right now. Like we are in your ears, either, you know, many of you probably you are wearing headphones of some type and we are literally in your head or if not, we're, you know, in the airwaves around you. That's not something that's like a screen on a web page that you can optimize. It's like a super personal thing, you know?
0: And I should answer your question. Like that said, there are things to optimize. So like this happened with Whole Foods. I get a text from david holy shit amazon just bought whole foods i'm like yeah let's cancel our meetings all morning and like let's go get on this right now and then let's try and release it tonight and like you bet we were part of that first news cycle and you bet we actually second because the first is breaking the news the second's analysis and then the third is commentary on the analysis and so like we were part of the second news cycle that second day that was a huge traffic bump but it's worth knowing that that spike will get a lot of listens who are out sort of your outside of the ideal listener profile, so they churn more quickly. And so it's like you need those to get that exposure outside of the bubble you'd normally get, but your retention is going to be way worse than it normally would be because they're interested in this particular analysis, not let me go on the acquired journey and listen to a whole bunch of episodes either in the back catalog or in the future and so there's these like trade-offs that you make where it's like if we go two whole seasons without doing something current there's probably something wrong because we're missing expansion opportunities but if we're just like riding the news cycle every day and we got close to this i think with last season doing uber ipo lyft ipo you know in a row in a row in a row there's danger to that too because then then you're not telling the like cool deep stories of like PA semi and authentic and how that that small acquisition or the couple of small acquisitions made the iPhone the powerhouse that it is
1: today. I'm curious, like, are there any episodes that did surprisingly well? Like maybe it was some small deep cut kind of like thing that you want to do just because it's fun and you're like, I don't know if this will be the most popular, but I like it. And it did super well. Or conversely, one that you're like, oh we gotta do this, obviously, and then it just kind of was meh, meh. Yeah, let me pull open our stats. Also with podcasting it's a little different because uh, with episodes, audience stability is much greater than, or at least in terms of downloads. I mean, a lot because there's auto downloading apps and all that stuff. Then, like on the web or something, it's much more clear when something was like a hit or a dud. And um, if it was like an article, it's actually kind of funny. Yeah,
0: I used to send a disclaimer to David whenever I would send him a, a like update on how episodes were doing because I definitely are like analytics junkie. Mm-hmm. Um, and more of the story like, is I don't,
2: Ben is a hero in so many ways, but but also like <laughs> all the behind the scenes.
0: I ride along for the research, though. <laughs> Thank you, David. When an episode is performing really well, at least in the first f- two days, it's not because that particular episode was great. It's because the listener base has grown since. The previous episode, so
1: the last episode was great. <laughs> right, Basically, this, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: definitely a lagging indicator, and then you see these sort of like, how how is it doing day three through fifteen? That's really like after people listen to it, are they recommending it to their friends? And then sometimes you'll even see a run between day fifteen and day thirty where something catches a spike, and and it's like, you know, maybe the second person it got recommended to is very influential on Twitter and decided to make a big hullabaloo about it, and so. It's like very different than analytics and other mediums because as you as you said, it's super, the audience is sticky.
1: I feel like there's such a huge opportunity for some enterprising podcast hosts to build much better analytics around this because at Gimlet, we were constantly like, like we had this crazy setup where we'd like get stuff exported into like Amazon S3 and then like I would screw around with it and like people would screw around with it in like Excel and then Excel would crash because it was too much data. And like, it was just terrible trying to like get signal out of it. And I feel like it's actually not, ultimately that hard of a problem it's just first of all it's a it's immature and young as an industry and second of all it's just different than than like web analytics
0: yeah and it's been relatively protected like you the most important thing to note here is you can't execute arbitrary javascript on somebody listening to a podcast the way that you can to somebody loading a web page and so like you, you just can't fetch a bunch of data so it's all you know it's basically all server-side analytics and um yeah, that that leaves it in some ways. If you're a growth person, you're like, "Damn, it's in the dark ages." But if you're, you know, someone who's like a, a privacy zealot, you're like, "This is so awesome! Like, user behavior is really protected." So, I think it's just one.
2: Th- it's another side of the coin of just how podcasting as a medium is is unique. And and like, what one thing I was thinking about this a minute ago during, during your last question. That we've found that we never expected is is just the value of the back catalog like that drives a bunch of, like the acquired flywheel it keeps spinning faster because now every new listener who comes in who subscribes there are 100 episodes for them to listen to three years ago there were like 20 episodes for them to listen to you know.
0: Yeah, a thing that surprised me is that acquired is apparently bingeable, and like I don't, I don't know how. Like it's not that. That's I can not tell a thing you exactly how as someone who's been there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like every time I get that feedback or we see it on Twitter, that's that's definitely a thing that's like an unexpected behavior that I wouldn't. I mean, t- to me, it's like, and maybe it's because recording them is so like draining that like I can't imagine. Well, we've tried to do two on one day and we just can't. Like we, it's, you, yeah, you kind of can't hold that much. in what what two episodes did you do? <laughs>
2: it was in the early days um
0: it's it's basically we can't hold this much in mental ram at once the way i would describe it so i don't remember the two episodes so i can't answer your question but what i can tell you is the day before an episode and the day after an episode i know significantly less than on the day we record and so like it's this interesting like decay curve like get all the information like as close as you possibly can to vocalizing it and then like it kind of goes away and atrophies afterwards and i don't think we'd be able to do like three or four hours worth of content on two completely different subjects
1: held in ram at the same time yeah makes total sense to me as someone who writes in podcasts and stuff like that it's like It's like trying to convey something in a good and complete and accurate way, but in a way that's also interesting and like compelling. It kind of has a good story, like framing angle. Balancing all those things in your head at once is like weirdly emotionally exhausting. Like there's not a lot of stakes. It's not like some personal struggle or whatever, but it just, it's like, you feel sort of like you've given birth or something. 100%. Have you
0: read Thinking Fast and Slow? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of read it. Yeah, everyone's kind of read it. I previously it's kind like of textbook. read it. I like, yeah, I've read, I've read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I listened to the Blinkist. Oh, yeah. I took his <laughs> the, course uh, in
2: college. <laughs> Kahneman's course it was so good.
0: Whoa. Still, like, from from yeah. Daniel Kahneman? Yeah.
2: Holy and, um, shit. Uh, Whoa. And then Thinking Fast and Slow I, I think came out, like, the year after I graduated or something like that.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah,
2: it was so cool.
1: That's amazing. I bet. Well, that's its whole own episode. <laughs> <But> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. David's had crazy professors like at GSB who what didn't, was Eric Schmidt one of your lecturers? Uh, Eric Schmidt was
2: one of my professors, uh, Andy Ratcliffe, I uh, found a benchmark. Um, I don't even know if this is still the case now, but at least at the period when I was at GSB, all these CEOs and, and, and VCs, you know, cause they're right there. They would just actually like be, not just guest lecture, they would be professors. They would teach courses. So like I took courses where my professors who were there you know, twice a week for the class, twice a week, were full-time GPs at, like, Andreessen and Horowitz, Excel, Sequoia, like, Eric Schmidt was, like, a full-time professor of mine, like, it was crazy.
1: Good God. That's wild. That sounds amazing. It was so great. Wait, but let me, let me get to what
0: I was, uh, so I don't just, like, leave us all on, like, throwing out, thinking fast and slow, and then not explaining why. Oh, right, yeah. Like, So system one and system two, for anyone who hasn't read the book, the quick primer is system one thinking is things that you don't have to do any mental work to do. So if you see three plus four on a page, um, it's all pattern recognition. And so your brain immediately goes to seven. And let's say like we're walking next to each other and David tells me three plus four and I can just say seven without stopping walking. But if he says 34 times 17 my brain basically grinds to a halt. I have difficulty continuing to walk. My pupils dilate. If I'm doing the math actively, I probably can't actually respond or or even understand anything else that he's saying afterwards because I'm juggling these things in my head. So like, uh, and that's system two. And so the way that I would describe doing an acquired episode is like an hour and a half of Not all system two thinking, because like you would die, but a lot of system two thinking. And so you are sort of like emotionally and mentally exhausted afterwards. And I noticed like, I think I have less willpower in the day after really (laughs) good episodes. Like it's, it's a, it's a draining activity. You
1: know, that study failed to replicate on willpower. You just, it's your limiting belief, Ben. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it's true. Ben,
0: you have a fixed mindset. Yeah. Get out of here.
1: No. <laughs> that, also, Wait. that also failed to replicate though. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Not surprised. Yeah. Uh, sorry. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> no way. Wait, you got to catch me up more later on that, that failing to replicate. Yeah. So Baumeister, the guy from, I forget where he is a professor, but he wrote a book called Willpower and like a lot of that, like there was the whole replication crisis that was like kind of peaking in psychology around like 2016, 17 and like mindset, you know, like the, the marshmallow experiment, like all that that kind of stuff just didn't didn't replicate uh, it's kind of nuts so psychology is in a very interesting state as a field right now um but anyway that's neither here nor i'm right,
0: gonna stop reading the book then because it's all it must
1: all be crap
2: i think most i well nathan you may know more than me but i think most of kahneman and tversky's work replicates
1: i think they did yeah, yeah. that's actually yeah. I, I think I they're kind
2: of like the ones yeah. that survived
1: yeah yeah it's kind of cool but anyway so to bring it back to like your podcast and your process for creating episodes for the podcast, which is a draining one. And when you, when you complete one, it's kind of tiresome. Like, what are some of the moments where, you know, you've published an episode and you thought like insane, that was worth it. Like all, all of the sort of stuff, were there any kind of like peak moments of like best, most like proud kind of experiences?
0: Yes and I can tell you the ones that I didn't think were good that got very
1: positive response. Perfect. I was kind of trying to bring it back yeah. to that. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah.
0: One for me that definitely felt that way was square. Like I definitely ended and just felt like we just really nailed the analysis and there's other times where i don't feel that way like i honestly after tiktok even though that episodes did phenomenally well and and gotten like nice feedback i was like oh my god we needed to hit that youtube thing earlier it kind of felt like a mess because we didn't get there earlier should we re-record it there were parts we cut oh my god i got back from a red eye flight uh Then yeah, and I wasn't. I didn't feel like I was all the way there. So sometimes they they surprise you.
2: The the square one, yeah, for sure. Like we, man, you know, it's it's better to be lucky than good, right? But we did that episode, and and I that was one. I think both of us, Ben and I, you know, the narrative around that they just they recently gone public. The stock was in the dumps. It was like eight bucks a share you know, we did that episode and Ben and I both like, this is a really good company. Like the narrative is wrong around this company. There's a lot of luck involved here, but like we were, we were so right. And that was so gratifying. Like, you know, the stock's now trading in the high sixties, but it went up to, I think, I think it might've hit a hundred bucks a share within like a year.
1: Disclaimer, this is not trading advice. Consult your financial advisor, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Totally. This is all historical. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> but that is pretty amazing. It's interesting too, looking back, the show was much smaller than I think
0: that that we had like sub 5,000 listeners when we did that episode. And so like, it's interesting, f- like, and I'm sure the show quality is much better too. So I kind of want to go listen. Yeah. You know? I, I still have about. this like nostalgic feeling in my head. Like that, was, that one was so good. But like, based on audience size and how, how much the like content has matured since then it was probably meh, but our take on the company I think was good.
1: How much does like sort of audience size influence, um, like for an episode influence, how you feel about how you did on the episode?
2: Ooh, that's a good question in terms of the immediate feedback and gratification. Like a lot, like it's just so cool to see numbers spike, lots of people engaging on Twitter A little known fact for acquired LPs. will appreciate this. Uh, So we have their acquired FM Twitter account. Ben is very active personally on Twitter. I just a couple of years or so ago decided I couldn't make time for multiple Twitters in my life. So I actually use the acquired FM feed is like my Twitter feed. Like I use like that. I check multiple times a day. (laughs) So that's always fun to see. Once a little time goes by and things fade, like, you know, I think that it's just the content that sticks out. Like for me, the electronic arts episode, like really sticks out as just like a super fun one. Great story. Just, you know, origins of Silicon Valley. And, um, it was not one of our most popular episodes, but like Trip was such a great guest and so smart. And I think back to that one a lot.
0: Yeah. And sometimes things surprise us too. Like we, we've decided that we need room to experiment, which is why, um, I mean, a, a lot of the LP show is like just experimenting grounds, which is why we're doing a sort of strange episode like this. Why our previous episode, Nathan, you don't know this yet, but our previous episode um, that we'll release soon is uh, an analysis of uh, of the most recent Star Wars movie with Chayton from Benchmark. So like we're, we're like really trying to experiment because we're acknowledging that like we don't know. What will actually work? You're talking about
1: then. like the Empire's flywheel or like... What? Yeah.
0: No, it has almost no business analysis. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. Like we actually Some, accidentally <laughs> got there at the end.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: J- Jathan is like really a Star Wars nerd. Like it's awesome.
1: It's amazing. Yeah.
0: I felt among friends. Another one that surprised us was we decided to release the superhuman episode as a main a main show episode instead of a LP episode. And I think that one did the best out of the entire season. And that was a season that had... Lyft. I think it was right up there with Uber, you know, some big IPOs. And that was just like, it, it was a strange episode. We didn't really tell the whole story of superhuman. We didn't do grading. We didn't do the our, our standard format. It was still a private company. It's a private, relatively small company. It's a product that not only is like hot and buzzy right now, but I, I think Rahul, not only is he a really compelling communicator, but he's got these amazing frameworks. And I think there's been so many people that are just like, oh my God, like I... I, I need to reference that. And people have written blog posts referencing the episode. And so that was another indicator for us too of like, huh, maybe more sort of like frameworks that are really well communicated with clear examples of when they worked and when they didn't work that that might be, might be something interesting too.
1: Do you ever worry like when you're planning out an episode, whether it's going to be too nerdy? Like, do you worry about the balance between going all the way as deep as you may want to go versus making it interesting to like kind of wider set of people? It's interesting. I'm
2: curious what listeners think about that. Please write us with feedback or hit us up in the Slack um, if you have a view on this. I think in the early days we were worried about that, and we got some... I remember getting feedback of, like, you know, show has a lot of potential. Like, it's great. I enjoy it. But you guys use a lot of technical terms. Can you, like, make sure you take time to describe everything? But I do think, though, one of the reasons we've succeeded in so far as we have thus far is we embrace the... The nitty-gritty. So I don't think we're going to shy away from that.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, we have thought about it as like that's a bridge we would cross if we ever actually saturated our market. Like right now we have about 30,000 listeners. I suspect there's at least 200,000 listeners we could get to before we'd have to worry about like should we generalize the show a little bit more to make it more broadly applicable like, you know, the how I built this is of the world is probably the bet. That's, that's like the mass market comp for Acquired. And that... that I think they get about a million-ish downloads. I'm we saying. don't know for sure, but close to a million. And so, yeah, the, I think that's a bridge we would cross if, if we ever felt like we were actually saturating. I don't really know how we would know if we were saturating or, like, at some point we would see growth plateau and we'd be like, why? And then we'd hypothetically say, like, oh, we think it's plateauing and then maybe we'd change the content. But I also... I mean, that's not really it's not, it's, it's not really the show we want to do. So I think we'll just keep doing the show we want to do and then trust that or hope that the audience is big enough.
1: Totally. You've mentioned a lot of times the kind of like, almost like a transition point between early acquired and like modern acquired or like new acquired. What was, and, and you even mentioned one episode in particular, I forgot which one it was. But you said that was Yeah, Tesla was like this turning point. Can you talk about like, BT before Tesla and AT after Tesla, like eras of <laughs> acquired podcast.
2: What do you think that gig?
1: Uh, so I don't segment them that much in my head.
0: I mean, one thing I know for sure is like in the first, at least ten episodes, history and facts basically just meant telling like the deal size, and like <laughs> like then David really like grew into his own and was like, ooh, I can really be a storyteller, here. <laughs> and uh, so that that was a big turning point. I don't know. I think there's been several epochs along the way. The the, the Tesla one you're describing is like where we realized that we are in the business of telling the stories of great companies and doing the analysis that comes with that to understand why it's so interesting. Like, why is this such an interesting story to tell? Why is it so interestingly positioned for the future? And beforehand, I think we indexed harder on the analytical and we were like, well people are here because they want to know if it was a good deal or not and i think tesla was the first time we realized like wow there wasn't even really a deal like it's it it, people want to absorb stories i think tesla uh, i
2: think tesla was the first episode that we the name of the episode is just tesla not the tesla ipo tesla acquired by so-and-so even though they're almost acquired by google back in the day we did it and we were like this is just the story of tesla let's just call it that
0: which is so interesting because that was, uh, let's see, six months ago, 12 months ago. It was about 18 months ago. So that was two and a half years into Acquired is when we like found that out. And so sometimes like it just takes a really long time to figure out what market you're in or like why your product is resonant. Uh, and especially in the content business, I think, you know fortunately, since it was a passion project, even though it wasn't like exponential growth, we just kept doing it for a while. But it's sort of like taken a while for us to figure out why why people like the show, even though we asked them the whole time.
1: Yeah. I mean, tell me more about that. So, yeah, I would guess like maybe six episodes in or whatever, like you'd at least be talking to friends and like whatever. You'd have some you'd have some feedback, but you know, that was like a year and a half or whatever, maybe before you feel like you made this discovery. And it's also a common thing, I think, for for people building software or anything is it's just really hard to interpret feedback and to kind of like, get a lens that feels like it sort of clicks, where you like understand what you're doing in a way that that deeply resonates. And and a lot of people never get there. What like, did you learn any lessons about how to interpret feedback? Or is it just about doing a lot of cycles of iteration? And I don't know? Yeah, what did you learn from that?
0: Well one thing we got really aggressive on was surveying. So we um and we, we we created a really robust survey and we gave away AirPods and we gave away, you know, uh, we we really promoted it on the show. It was deep. I mean the it, there were questions of what's your least favorite part about the show, what's your favorite part, what was your favorite episode this season, what was your least favorite episode and like really tried to like mine a lot of data out of that and we had probably five or six qualitative fields
2: also what who you are listening who you are what you where you live what you do what industry you work in what your job title like we learned so much from that like like a third of listeners are founders are or have been founders of some type and of the 70 percent who 70 or 67 percent who aren't almost everybody aspires to be one someday and like We, you know, I think if we thought about it, we we would have thought, oh, yeah, founders, that would probably be our, but like, then we're like, oh, wow, no, founders and aspiring founders are like our core audience.
0: Yeah. And I I wish I could tell you, like, there's a really good methodology to analyze these survey results, but like the way, maybe David did something more sophisticated, but my belief on this has always been, if you really immerse yourself in the data and you really just like live in it and try and transform it a bunch of different times, then... insights occur to you. And so like, I probably spent eight hours over the course of several days, like putting on music, putting on my headphones, just like reading survey responses, when something looked particularly interesting to me, copying it into another document, trying to categorize some of them. So I'm like, this is feedback related to storytelling, this is feedback related to and and trying to code it a little bit. And it's like, just by manipulating the the responses enough times and sort of knowing like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that feedback. That was tied to this person who also said this. We had 500 responses, but we were able to like, this is the same way I feel about our analytics data. Like I, I have eight tabs in a the spreadsheet. They all are tracking slightly different things. I understand how to like draw the correlations that aren't showing up on the page. They're sort of just like in your subconscious while you're going through transforming the data. And like, I think that's a under cherished thing especially in a world where everybody wants a framework that you can just run anything through and it'll be successful every time it's like just take the time and immerse yourself in the feedback and immerse yourself in the data and stew in it
2: so many things from this incredible journey you know so far that we're hopefully still at the beginning out of doing acquired um but one thing that just so sticks with me is from the kara swisher episode that was one that surprised us didn't perform stats as well as we thought it would But, you know, and and I haven't listened to it in a while, so I don't know the quality of the episode as a whole, but she said at some point on it, like, if you do the work, no one can touch you. Like, And just like that phrase, like, if you do the work, if you do do the work, (laughs) and like, you know, that leads to greatness, you know? You got to do the work. But if you do it, it'll work, you know?
1: It reminds me of this thing Alex Bloomberg, the founder of Gimlet Media, said, which is like, you know, There's no real secret to making the stuff we make. It's not like, it's not something you have to be like crazy talented or whatever. Although he is, of course, crazy talented. But he's like, honestly, just the thing is like, you just spend a little bit longer on it than is reasonable. Like most people would give up and then you just keep going for like three more hours, like making it better or doing more research or like sticking with the survey results or whatever the thing is. It's like just where most reasonable people would say like, yeah, that's about right. You just sort of keep going for a little while longer, not an eternity longer, just like a bit longer. And it's kind of like this, like, well, you just have this relative advantage of like, it's just a little better and people like things that are the best thing they've heard lately. And it's, it's better than the other things. You know what I mean? It's like, there's no big secret to it, <laughs> you know? It was pretty crazy to hear because he's like, you know, the startup season one podcast is like iconic. It's like, I think people will be listening to it in decades. Um, and he said that's all there was to it. So it's so spot on.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Abira, who's the CEO of Glow, uh, credits Gimlet with captivating her into podcasts initially. Like, I think it really, um, obviously, serial was, you know, podcasting's big, big moment. But I think the startup podcast was that for a lot of people too.
1: Before we go, I want to also ask, have there been any like low lights? Like what are the moments that were the worst? Where you thought, yes, why are we doing this? <laughs> Ooh, and I don't think
0: I've shared this with David
1: yet. Ooh. So
0: let me go pull this, this is
1: not just a scoop for the audience, yeah. it's a scoop yeah. for David too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Let me see what episode it was there was a string of a few episodes kind of early on where our audience like we saw this nice initial kind of growth and we were like we have hundreds of people listening and then kind of stayed the same for a while and we did a few episodes that I wasn't personally that interested in like we were like sure we should do this because we should like learn this stuff but I kind of like I found myself even while I was doing the episode like opening other things on my computer like zoning out a little bit. And I was like, well, if I'm doing that, then our audience is definitely yeah. doing that.
1: Yeah. Wait, like you were on the microphone and you had like Twitter open or whatever? For sure. <laughs> yeah, like I, I remember that. And I'm like,
0: I wonder if this thing's dead. Like, oh, wow. I'm trying to remember when it was. So like, I think it was in this era of maybe like Broadcom, Qualcomm, Blue Bottle Coffee, which you would think I'd be more engaged in atlassian which i want to do again because there's so much good stuff there booking.com i was pretty excited about activision blizzard there were moments right like i definitely was having some like i don't think i had found my role in the show yet which is a weird thing to say but that uh, that that's how i recall that that period going
2: i mean i don't remember i haven't listened to them but those were not great episodes either um I used to say this a lot and and I think it's it's still true. Like it's just fun. You know, like if you're having fun doing it uh, and like we're both nerds about tech and business and tech and these companies and that just makes it fun. Especially the first year plus, you know, we were, (laughs) we maybe had hundreds of listeners. Maybe like there was nothing going on that indicated that this was worth pursuing. But we just kept doing it because we like doing it.
0: Which is so interesting. In this context of like, I think about this a lot with like PSL, like we ag- aggressively kill new startup ideas that aren't instantly showing signs that there could be a there there from customer interest. And like, I think I've said this before, but acquired, like we would have killed it very quickly. Now, granted, uh, PSL is not in the business of starting content businesses, but like it,
1: it doesn't matter. Like it, it's a... Uh, right. If you're like honest, running a podcast network... You would have been like, yeah, this, right. this is a dud.
0: Nope, this one's not performing.
1: Yeah. So wait, so how how bad was it? Not? You said there's like hundreds of listeners maybe. Was that like even a year in? It was like, oh, we got 200 downloads. I think so. I haven't. The oldest one that I have tracked here is like
0: Zappos against Gravity Nest, which is like two years ago. I'm sure I could dig up old uh, like Squarespace data from older stuff. Oh, but Yeah, we still um, host on Squarespace. Oof.
1: Not known as a podcast host,
0: <laughs> no <laughs> no uh, actually, it's a massive podcast host, but uh, oh, yeah. that's a mistake for
1: all the people doing that <laughs> yeah, fair, um yeah, when did it start to take off like what was the kind of so you're at thirty thousand downloads an episode now. It sounds like
0: we had like ten thousand or so on Rover, and then the very next episode that was season two episode nine, season two episode oh I'm sorry that 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 was uh, the end that was season, season two, two right? episode ten, yep. Yeah, it was 10,000 episodes. The very next episode was Tesla, and that had 14,000. And so you're like, oh, my God. And, like, basically every episode would grow by, like, 400 downloads all season before that. And we're like, cool, like, linear growth. Like, we found a formula to grow. And then Tesla was like, oh, my God, we just got, like, 40% bump in one one episode. That's uh, good. Um, I'm glad
2: the data backs up my sort of, like, instinct that Tesla was the turning point.
0: I think when we did Instagram part two last year, that one had around 14,000 or so. These are all
2: downloads in the first 30 days. So
0: Yeah. And then the very next now. one was Lyft that had 21,000. And so like sometimes you just get these insane spikes. And like obviously because both Tesla and eight months later, Instagram were both 14,000. Like there's a bunch of variants and there's ups and downs in the middle. But like, yeah, sometimes you just get these ones that bring you all these new listeners and and get you like totally re-energized about about the show.
1: And how does it work? Like, is it just like people love it because it's a great one, so they tweet about it at a higher rate than other episodes, and so you get more listeners? Or like, are there? Is it sort of like hits driven, where like just maybe not a lot of tweets happened, but like one random person with a ton of fault, follow- like Ben Thompson tweets you or whatever, and so then you like how how did it how did it work?
0: I mean, it's some of both. Like it's it's exactly what I was talking about earlier where like there's always the spike and then there's always the flight and the people that... that, that there's some staying power from the people that stuck around from the spike and you just have to know that like, you know, when we get that lift episode and like, boom, suddenly we're up at 21,000. It doesn't mean like, great, we're going to be 21 at a thousand. That's a new floor from here on out. Although actually that season we, was, that actually was true. That, yeah. that was it. That was awesome.
2: I feel like though, whenever we, I don't know if you feel the same Ben, but whenever we hit those spikes, I feel like, okay, that's the, like we've hit that peak on the mountain, t- you know, on the mountain. We got to aim for the next peak now.
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah. It was like this season that was, we work in TikTok, where it's like, yeah, like, Why do anything less than that now? And like you're right, Nathan. Like we can't really control it. Like we can control what con like you know, what episodes we do, but we don't control the news cycle. We don't control who happens to hear it. Like we had someone hear about TikTok and tweet about it. We got probably a thousand new listeners from a tweet. Who's tweet? And like,
2: Uh, it was Patrick Goshamiszi, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And like Patrick's show is incredible. Like I, I. David and I listen to Invest Like the Best and think like, okay, like cool, this is what we can do to up our game when we're interviewing people. Like we have our shtick down for storytelling that's different than his show. And you listen to like things like Gimlet shows to try and sharpen your your skills for that or get ideas for that. But like Patrick is one of the best interviewers doing podcasts right now. And so like when he was, you know, when he said, Hey, this is a great show. I, I learned a lot from TikTok, I recommend you check it out. It was like of course, crazy gratifying because you're like, I look up to the content you produce in so many ways and like this, you know, artful skill that you have. Um, But also because you have to believe the people who listen to his show are super smart. And it's like, awesome. Like we just got some, like we can, for however smart we assumed our audience was before, like now we have all this reinforcement that like, we can continue to treat our audience with like, amazing and profound respect and we don't need to lead them all the way to answers we can kind of like let them run with whatever they can think of based on the material that we put out there. So that that that's cool on multiple levels.
1: What makes Patrick O'Shaughnessy so good at interviewing?
0: Actually, I was thinking about this a lot when we were getting ready for the Kara interview, and the number one thing I think to deliver a great interview is to not be intimidated by your guest. And when you're having amazing people on, that that's the natural thing is to be wildly deferent, treat them with respect, let them run the show. Um, And you kind of have to just grab it and say, like, "Mm, no, I'm going to run the show. Like this is, I, and that's that has two pieces. One is just like having. Conviction in your format and being like I've done this a bunch so I can do this again but the other one is like treating yourself with enough respect that you can go toe-to-toe with that person like even though this person's Famous or even though this person started a billion-dollar company like I'm also smart and I'm gonna have interesting ideas on this show And like I have to find the right way to like steer the direction of the, the content in the way that I want because I respect myself and my own ideas and I think that's hard when you're sitting with some of these people across the table from you. So that's one big piece of it. I think another one is letting yourself be an audi- a proxy for your audience. If you're interested, Assume that your audience is sort of a bunch of views, and if you're interested, then you should go there. And if you're bored with what they're saying, you should cut them off and and take it another direction. Because you're, you, 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 we have attracted the audience that we've asked for, and the audience we've asked for is we are ourselves on air. So there, we're a very good proxy for what the audience is actually going to think is interesting. So that's my those are my tips on interviewing.
2: Yeah, I think Patrick, basically the, the same core idea as as what Ben said. My sort of frame on it is I think he does a really great job of meeting guests on their level. And that's like both putting himself on their level, but also, you know, he interviews while they're all, you know, broadly in finance and investing of various types. You know, he puts himself and the audience at the same level as as the guest. And I think he does that incredibly, incredibly well.
1: Nice. So what is coming up on on the horizon for Acquired?
2: Well, probably we our, any scoops here? the number one question, uh, that, uh, I'm surprised you, uh, you didn't ask, but the most asked question of us is when is Sequoia capital part two coming? And that is coming very soon. We're working on some special things for it. So we're excited to be bringing that this season.
0: We want to do more live shows, but outside of our show at South by, we don't have anything scheduled yet. Um, let me pull up our David and I did some planning and we can look at the content calendar. See what we can talk about.
2: We also um, are going to continue, probably on the on the LP show, but maybe with some between LP show and main show, our sort of uh, no code theme exploration that started with uh, with Vlad and Webflow, which that was so fun. I think that was one of, if not our best LP episodes thus far.
0: If Airbnb goes public, then we can talk about that. Yeah. But we'll yeah. see. It's up to them. <laughs>
2: Vlad was so good. It was a combination of, I think, two things. One, his story and the story of Webflow is amazing. He tried to start the company, like the exact same company, same name, same product, four times. And finally, on the fourth (laughs) time, it's become the Webflow we know and love with like just the, the theme that is behind it is just like so powerful of this, you know, no code movement. And I think when acquired's at its best, it's the intersection of those two things. It is, it is Ben and my aspects of the show. You know, it's the story and the analysis. And when those are really compelling together and like, you know, Vlad and Webflow nailed that.
0: Can I tell you a bunch of stuff we've thought about, but haven't done? Cause we don't have time. Yeah. So we keep thinking about writing a book, What? but we haven't That'd be amazing. And, and the idea isn't like, I want to write a book to be a New York Times bestselling author. The idea is to write a book because then you get to go on a book tour and we would basically get to do a bunch of live podcasts, probably at companies where like tons of people listen to our show anyway. And we kind of feel like we already have all the content for a book and it would just be about packaging it up in the right way. And we've even got like, we've done an outline, we've talked with publishers, we've talked to book agents, but it just keeps falling by the wayside as one of these things where it's like, okay, we have like... Day jobs, so already this is a side project. And then in that amount of time, would we rather allocate those hours toward producing like the best episodes we can this season, or should we like go write a book? And I think like we just keep backburnering it in in favor of the show, especially when the show's like working. Like I think if the show plateaued, it would be a different story. But it's like if we know that we just keep growing every episode, we're like, yeah,
1: like more of that. Totally. Totally. So book, that's one. Is there? Are there any other things that are like you might do, you might not do, you've thought about doing? We've,
2: in a lot of ways, inspired by um, the TikTok episode um, and some other things. We've been toying with video and YouTube, well, which are actually two separate things. We have been toying with with YouTube and with video. There are no plans currently to do either one, but... Uh, The intersection between podcasts and YouTube, I find really fascinating right now. And I'm not, uh, I think there is a opportunity for acquired within that, but I, we haven't figured out exactly what that is yet.
1: I mean, you could do a video podcast. People could watch (laughs) it on their iPod videos that these used to be a thing like pre Apple basically could have been YouTube with video podcasts if you think about it. I'm
0: telling you, I, I've spent like 150 to 200 hours of my life watching Dignation. So yeah. like, I believe in the in the power of video podcasts. Amazing. I think Leo Laporte for uh, coined the term vodcast. vodcast. That's <laughs> right. I remember at that. Point. It's so
1: close to vlog, but it's, you know, it just yeah. missed. Well, <laughs> the thing that
2: just like, uh, this is what I've really been thinking about is, yep, there's all that. But like, man, Joe Rogan, like... The, the you know that show is like forget pocket that is like one of the biggest media properties to be developed period globally in the past 10 three years.
0: million downloads on every single episode yeah like you tell me a, a media company that has that kind of reach within days of dropping a piece of content I mean, and it's like and i Netflix think the,
2: the, the key world. to it is youtube like i don't think you would have gotten that reach and distribution without youtube
1: totally
0: And I think that 3 million number I'm quoting is out of iTunes. So, like, I I don't think that is inclusive of his YouTube downloads. Yeah, I mean, it's estimated he makes
2: 50 million a year in, like, just ad revenue on the show.
0: Yeah,
1: it's wild. And it's so crazy because it's, like, it it doesn't seem like it... it's very hard in a weird way. Like he's amazing at what he does. Right. But it's not like, it's one thing when it's like, you know, star wars or whatever.
0: No, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the beauty of it though. Right. It's like it, he makes it seem effortless. Exactly. He's he's a, he's a unique person. Yeah. 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 Amazing. (laughs) That is a true statement.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, any other, any other parting thoughts that you'd, two unique people want to leave with your audience.
0: One thing I forgot to say is, like, listeners, uh, we actually didn't touch on most of the stuff that Nathan wrote about in his strategy newsletter, so we'll link that in the show notes. It kind of goes through, like, how we think about the LP show, how it fits into the puzzle of acquired, how we think about monetization, like... Where we decide to deploy those dollars, um, what our goals are with the show, what our non—like there's a lot of good stuff there that didn't need to be repeated. I think on the show, so I'm glad we didn't. Um, but if you're interested in that, you should definitely check it out on on Divinations. Really well done, you guys are. Oh, well, thank you. you.
2: You are you are very good at what you do. And let
0: me, thank yeah, you. let me let me talk about the format for that because I thought that was interesting. So we spent an hour and a half on a call like this and you recorded it, and then you went back through later and turned a bunch of, like, pretty incoherent rambling into a really tight, like, well-edited piece. So I'm curious, like, just give us 60 seconds on, like, what does that creative process look like for you?
1: Well, first of all, it wasn't that incoherent. (laughs) It was just... (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, no, totally. I mean, um, it's interesting because the way that people talk is really different than the way than than what feels good to read, right? Um, like if you look at any transcript, it just feels really dumb, even though if you were to listen to it, it feels really smart. Essentially, it's like converting it, right? It's like... I mean, it's like dictation, right? Almost like you were kind of like dictating the post to me is the way that I think about it. But but I can like kind of bring it out of you by asking you a bunch of questions as opposed to you just like having to come up with it on your own. The reason we do it is just because like, honestly, um, my really good friend Dan Shipper started doing a substack that has sort of a similar style. And he found that that style worked really well for him. And he was like, you should try it. So I was like, okay, I'll try it. I think it works pretty well. It's pretty cool because... I think writing is just, it's really hard. It's very painful. And there's a lot of people that have, you know, amazing insights and stories that I think would travel further if they were in written form on the internet. And, you know, especially when you pair that with email distribution. And so there's some, there's some work there. There's some friction to the conversion. But like, if I take that on, then my newsletter can be like that much better because, it's this thing that's not just my ideas. It's, it's all the smart people like you who like can share your stories and experiences. And I kind of just wanted to get out of the way, you know, like I almost was like, well, I just can't possibly do this on a regular basis. If I have to be the, the source of all of the, you know, uh, of the stuff. Um, and so, I mean, I'm sure you all feel the same way of like the, the supply chain for you is like, there are these fascinating companies out in the world that you can do research on. And so it's like standing on the shoulders of giants of like, you can read all the interesting analysis that's been written and like synthesize it and, and paint a picture of it in, in a conversation in a way that's super compelling. And, and you can apply this sort of unique transformation to it, but it's not like it's coming from nowhere. So same, I guess, same kind of principle for, for the newsletter.
2: When well, I think you hit it, on something really interesting there that I've I've thought for a while but too is um that's part of what makes podcasts so compelling is the Venn diagram overlap between people with compelling stories and thoughts to share and people who enjoy writing and are good writers is quite small you know and if you can get more people from the circle of have compelling thoughts and stories to share into getting that content out there, like the spoken word is just such an easier hurdle to clear.
0: Po- podcasting for me is like writing without all the self-loathing involved in the writing
1: process. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Cause I mean, like I, I recently tweeted like, uh, like amount of times I check Twitter by activity, like a little fake graph where it's like, yeah, yeah. I didn't even put podcasting on the, on as like a potential option cuz i don't check it at all while i'm like having a podcast conversation but like you know programming it's like not very much designing maybe like a little bit more writing is like off the scale <laughs> i'm checking twitter <laughs> all the time because it's so yeah. agonizing um and i'm getting a little better at it but i've been tweeting about writing a lot cuz it's like i've started to do it more lately obviously and it's it's hard yeah. it's so hard you got
0: you got to find other writers to commiserate with which actually i'm sure that's probably why you're doing this thing with dan with dan you yeah. each other that's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nathan.
1: Thank you. This has been so much fun. Maybe we'll do it again in like, you know, a year or two years or whatever. We can make like a, you know, New Year's tradition of it or whatever. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to it. That's my so I suckered you into it now. <laughs> I get to become What's a recurring your Twitter guest? handle for,
0: pe- for people who want to, I'm just like talking right over you here, oh, who, sure who yeah. want to find you.
1: Uh, so Twitter handle is n b a s h a w in bashaw, um, which is actually my old last name. I merged last names with my wife, so now it's bashes. She was Sanchez, I was bashaw, now we're Bashez. But um, anyway, I haven't like changed the actual handle yet because that feels complicated and hard. But if you search for Nathan Bashes, that also works too. It's it's n b a shaw. Like I yeah, do exactly. some guy named Shaw who plays basketball. So I get a lot so. of like NBA spam tweets sometimes because people <laughs> are like, anybody with NBA at the first three letters of their handle probably is a basketball fan. And so. uh, uh, well, I sometime we'll go tit for
0: tat on, I get a lot of um, uh, tweets about Gilbert Arenas, Gilbert, Arizona, yeah. and uh, okay. uh, there's some Italian Gilbert that I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, totally. it's, it's fun. It's great. Awesome.
2: Man, All right. For Arenas. <laughs> Haven't
1: thought of that name in a long time. <laughs> Yeah, we get less of that than we used to. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. This has been this has been a ton of fun. A
2: ton of fun. Thanks, Nathan.